0: This is the Responsible Sports Podcast, presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance. In this episode, we welcome Doc Bennett. Responsible Sports is a program dedicated to supporting youth sport coaches and parents who help our children succeed both on and off the field. Each episode, our host Jim Thompson, CEO of Positive Coaching Alliance, will be joined by professional coaches, Olympians, world-class athletes, general managers, and leading youth sports experts who share their insights from their own sports careers. In this podcast, Tina Sire, Chief Impact Officer of Positive Coaching Alliance, steps in for Jim and talks with former USA Wrestling National Freestyle Development Coach and Director of Broadcasting, doc bennett
1: it makes no sense to do anything in life that you haven't prepared yourself for if you want to succeed you have to be willing to lay the foundation you know so the the foundation for success is built on failure and, and it's it's one of those things that you just have to take and be willing to put in the hours put in the time put in the the work ahead of time and the reward is is the is the result you get on the wrestling mat.
0: Doc provides insight on what it takes to be a successful coach and youth athlete. He also emphasizes the importance of creating short-term, mid-term, and long-term goals.
2: Doc, I want to start off by introducing you to our responsible sports audience. Doc Bennett has been involved in wrestling for more than 50 years as an athlete, coach, administrator, and innovator. In 2008, Doc was honored by the U.S. Olympic Committee as a National Coach of the Year. He was specifically honored with a Doc Councilman Science Award, which recognizes a coach who utilizes scientific techniques and equipment as an integral part of his or her coaching methods. In his roles with USA Wrestling of National Freestyle Developmental Coach and Director of Broadcasting, he spearheaded numerous technology-driven projects to improve performance, These range from instructional coaching videos to online tools for athletes, coaches, and referees. Among Doc's numerous professional accomplishments, one that stands out is his coaching of Henry Seguro, who came away from the 2008 Olympics with a gold medal. Doc officially retired from USA Wrestling on January 1, 2009, and now lives in Boise, Idaho. Doc, thanks so much for joining the responsible sports audience and me today.
1: You're more than welcome. Glad to be with you.
2: So I'm hoping you can kick us off by taking us back to your very first introduction to wrestling and let us know when you took it up and if you had a sense in those first days of what a major role it was going to play in your life.
1: Well, I would say definitely not. My first introduction to wrestling was uh, I was called into the PE teacher who was the basketball teacher's office after PE. We were getting ready to start the basketball season wanted to know if I was going to turn out, and he, I said yes, and he said, well, I'm going to cut you right now and save myself the time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, he cut me from the basketball and introduced me to wrestling, he told me that if I would take part in this new program they were starting, we'd never had a wrestling team there, it was brand new, that I, he thought I would be better suited, and he was right on. It, it was something I fell in love with from day one, uh, and to this very day, I, I, I think I... I get as excited around it as I did the first time I saw it.
2: So when, when did wrestling become sort of the, your one sport, or did you specialize at a certain age, or were you still playing multiple sports when you were in high school?
1: I played, I played multiple sports in high school. and Actually, my freshman year in college, I, played, I wrestled and played football, both. But after my uh, freshman year in college, I was too small for football. I felt it was just taking too big a toll on me, and I just strictly focused on the wrestling.
2: That's great. That's great. And did you end up doing some international wrestling um, before you sort of took up coaching? Uh, I got familiar
1: with international wrestling through through the West Coast. I I finished up school out in the West Coast, and they had uh, they they were they they were doing uh, freestyle and Greco out there, and I I wrestled a few uh, of those types of things at that point in time. Uh, I, I would like to say that I was a barn burner, but I was learning more than I was doing anything else, and. I think that's been the secret for me is I've never quit learning. I, to this day, I feel like there's more things I can learn.
2: I, I agree with that so much. Um, you just seem like an incredible jack-of-all-trades, and it appears that throughout your whole career you've just kept learning. Um, and I'm curious if you could tell our responsible sports audience um, about that very first time you decided to use video in your coaching and how that came about and um, the arc of that within your career.
1: Well, I was—I was actually—I was, actually, uh, I was uh, my my assistant coach when I was coaching high school was a individual by the name of Daryl Keller, and he had a twin brother, Dwayne. They were both uh, two-time NCAA champions, and OWS for Oklahoma State. And Daryl was actually one of my last competitive matches. We were sitting around talking about the fact that that you know it's too bad that we couldn't do these things today like we used to do them when we were younger with the same kind of training and the same kind of timing on the mat and we thought, you know, why not start getting that type of thing from athletes that are coming up that can still do that type of thing. And so we started, uh, we started doing instructional educational video and as, as specifically trying to focus on fundamental techniques. Mhm.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you think that there are specific pitfalls that um, responsible sports coaches and parents should avoid when it comes to watching video with their kids or using video as an instructional tool?
1: You know, I, I really think, to be honest with you, I really think there's a lot of people out there that watch a lot of video that really aren't sure what they're doing. And, I, you know, it, it isn't so important to watch the technique itself because, you know, I could probably show you 15 different ways to do a high crotch, and there's really nothing wrong with any one of them. Mm-hmm. They're all pretty, pretty effective. What you really need to be able to do is you need to be able to understand why it worked. In other words, what happened that enabled him to get into a position where he could execute that high crotch, and why was he able to finish it? The, the, mm-hmm. the what's and the why's are far more important than the technique itself.
2: Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in my own playing experience, although it, it's in field hockey, not in wrestling, um, I found a lot of my coaches like to film games or competitions, and they ended up replaying the moments where our team did something wrong. So, you know, if you missed a tackle in in front of the whole team, you know, that that missed tackle was rewound multiple times as, as, you know, this is what not to do. And I'm curious what your perspective um, is on coaches sort of showing video um, of the way it should not be done.
1: Well, I think if you're going to show an athlete what should not be done, then you better, better not show it to him because I don't think that's real positive motivation for him uh, in, in his development. I really think that what you need to do is focus on the things that he's doing right
3: mm-hmm. and
1: then maybe take a look at the things that didn't go quite right and, and analyze as to what we might have done different that would have changed that situation, turned it around. I really think that when the athlete's done watching the video or going through video review with you, he should have the feeling that the next time he meets that individual, he can beat him because he'll be better prepared and, and understand better how to
2: approach the match hmm So sort of that idea of watching it being done the right way and having that imprint on the brain rather than sort of trying to learn from something being done the wrong way.
1: I think they need to see their mistakes, but not until they see what they're doing right.
2: Yep. Yep. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, if you reflect about sort of how easy it is to use video now, you know, with technology where it is today versus when you and the Keller brothers first started using video um, talk to us a little bit about sort of the state of video use today versus then.
1: Well, <laughs> well, we were using, uh, you know, we tried to do our instruction stuff and in what was broadcast quality at the time. We were using one-inch tape and three-quarter-inch tape and home video VHS type tape and the editing was, of course, was was uh, difficult to really do because you didn't have the non-linear editing systems like you have now, so you had to, you had to do it in a, in a linear fashion. Uh, today it's so easy to go down and buy an inexpensive camera and buy an inexpensive nonlinear editing program, and you can do all kinds of things right from your laptop it, it's the world has changed tremendously, especially with the advent of the internet and the access of the internet. you know so it's
3: mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's
1: light years different than what it used to be
2: so if if there is a coach who listens to this and thinks that you know he or she would like to use video, um it, it sounds like you're saying it's not that difficult, um and that people maybe should should. Uh, be brave enough to either wade into what's already out there on the internet or or go into some of the tools that aren't totally expensive like they used to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's all kinds of video. There's all kinds of things available out there, you know, between Flow Wrestling, USA Wrestling, and and the other things. There's all kinds of stuff out there that you can use to enhance your knowledge and learn from. And I think to not do that is, is a mistake. I think you need to. You need to have an open mind, you know. A closed mm-hmm. mind is kind of like a parachute. It doesn't do any good unless it opens, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things that I think it's important that you you, you search out technique, you search out uh, things that can help you as a coach, things that can help you as an athlete, and the Internet and video is certainly one of them.
2: So I've read that when you were doing some of your initial video work, you were reaching out to coaches maybe even in other countries, um, to get them to share their wrestling videos with you. And I'm curious what kind of reception you got, and if you ever came across coaches who weren't really that excited to share their tape with you, and when that happened, how you handled those situations.
1: Uh, You know, I didn't run into that a lot. The Mm -hmm. idea was fairly new. It was something that wasn't being done a lot, and they kind of liked the idea of being able to have the stuff for themselves. Mm -hmm. So it, it really wasn't anything that was you know they weren't and they trusted me and i think that made a difference too you know i think if you get to know somebody they get to know they can trust you and that what you're going to use it for and how you're going to use it and i think if you treat them fairly they're willing to in most cases do that type of thing um so we had we had reasonably good success with some of the foreign athletes i you know i i know i've i've benefited a lot from things that i with Sergei Beloglazov and obviously, the Russian coach Uregin, Ivan Uregin, you know, internationally, he was he shared with us, and and that was good. And I, I think that you 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 uh, their approach is different than ours. Their training is a little different. You know, I got video from Shak who was the national Russian coach, and all of those things enhance your education, and I think make you a better coach by by interacting and sharing with other coaches.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you sort of just slipped it in there that they, they trusted you. Um and I'm c I am i can not believe that happened overnight. I'm curious what you did, um, to sort of gain their trust over those years that they would be so open to sharing with you.
1: Uh I I think you know, in in the relationship, you know, meeting them and working with them at maybe at the World Championships or maybe at a camp or maybe at a tour, they're over here maybe for a World Cup or they're over here for dual meets and and in meeting with them and, and talking with them and doing the things I said I would do and following up the way I said I would, I think they, they, you know, they realized that I'm going to do what I said I was going to do, and they could trust me.
2: Yeah, that's great. Um, so, so I guess shifting gears a little bit, um, one of the things inside Responsible Sports we often talk about is the power of a sports coach to teach lessons that really reach far beyond the mat. And, um, you know, sure, you're teaching a lot of wrestling strategy and technique, um, but there are also just a lot of life lessons that kids are going to take away from their wrestling experience if a coach is doing it right. And um, I guess I'm curious if you think there are specific life lessons that the sport of wrestling can teach, and and just tell us a little bit about maybe what those are and how you did that when you were coaching.
1: Well, I, I think there's four things that you have to be able to do in life if you're gonna that you have to do in life if you're going to be successful at anything whether that be as a a businessman a, you know or uh, as a doctor or whether it is as a, as a coach uh, or as an athlete i think there's things that you have to be willing to do and you know i i spent a lot of time with with things like uh, you know positive mental attitude books and things like that and mm-hmm. The thing that I found or that I learned, basically, and I I can't take credit. I think I picked a lot of this stuff from other coaches and other people. But, you know, if a person is going to be successful in anything as an athlete or as Mm -hmm. a coach or anything, you have to have the ability to set that goal. You have to have Mm -hmm. the ability to to establish that dream. And and I think that's important. And you have to understand the importance of short-term versus mid-term and long-term goals and Mm -hmm. the fact that it's not enough just to think them. You have to write them down. You have to Mm -hmm. review them. Mm -hmm. You have to keep them in front of you at all times.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: But along with that comes the fact that that you have to be willing to make self-sacrifices. I mean, everything has a price. And generally speaking, that sacrifice is going to be something you don't want to give up. That's why it's called mm-hmm. sacrifice. So if you want to have a dream, you've got this goal, you want to be an Olympic champion, well, what are you willing to give up to get there?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: That's part of it. Okay. In addition to that, I think association is important. I think that, that you have to take and 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 associate with people that are going to encourage you and take you in the same direction mm-hmm. uh, people that have that are going the same place you're going Coaches that have helped others accomplish it, athletes that have accomplished it themselves. Uh, I think that uh, this association principle is really critical. Uh, I think it's really important. And then the last thing is you have to have some sort of a game plan to work with. And that's really what coaching is, mm-hmm. is you sit down with that athlete and you establish a game plan or a road map from where he's at to where he wants to go. And he has to understand that he has to trust in that plan. And he has to follow that plan because mm-hmm. if he deviates, you know, if he's, you know, it's kind of like you don't know where I live, but if I told you to come on over, you couldn't do it until I gave you a map. Mm-hmm. With the map, you'd get here. Right. And if along the way you stop to look at the world's biggest ball of twine or go over and take a look at some, something else, you don't know when you're going to get here, if ever.
3: Mm-hmm. So you
1: have to follow that plan until something tells you that you need to make an adjustment. And Got you it. You make that adjustment and you go from there. And I think, I think those things are critical and they're all part of coaching.
2: Yeah, and it, that is certainly something that, like you said, it's not just going to help you be successful in wrestling, but in your career or with your family or, or any other, I guess, forum. Um, let, let me see if I got this. It, it seems like your four things were you know, setting goals and, and having the dream, and, and the goals may be short-term, midterm, and long-term, and you're going to need to write them down and check in. The second thing was self-sacrifice. Um, the third thing is associating with the right people who are encouraging and can help you get to that place. They're going to the same place. And the last thing was the game plan um, to get to those goals and dreams, so a specific roadmap and trusting in it um, and the coach helping and making adjustments as needed. Is that, is that about right?
1: That's, that's about right. And for some, that, that short-term goal needs to be to simply score the next
2: point. Right, that short-term. Right, right. Great, great. Um, so so another wonderful thing about your your you know 50 plus year career in wrestling is you've really coached the sport at every level, um, from beginners all the way up through Olympic gold medalists. Um, and I'm curious if you could tell us what you think the highlights are of coaching someone who's brand new to the sport, um, where a lot of the audience listening you know to this, um, interview. They're they're going to be coaching beginners and kids who are new to the sport. Um, and what do you think the highlights are of getting to work with someone who's just discovering wrestling for the first time?
1: Oh, I, I think that to be able to open a youngster's eyes up to the to to what they can learn about themselves and what they can they can learn about you know what it takes to pick yourself up and get through life
3: mm. is
1: a phenomenal opportunity. And, and, yeah. and uh, to work with these younger kids, are, they're like a sponge if you, if you handle it right. I mean, if you, if you approach it from a standpoint of, of all things are possible, if you're willing to put in the work, these kids respond. I think if you are willing to take the time to, instead of trying to jump right into competition and jump mm. right into big techniques, mm-hmm. if you take the time to lay a foundation of really strong fundamental basic skills, mm-hmm. then down the road it remains fun for them and it continues to go in the right direction.
2: That's great. That's great. Um, so, so I was thinking about, um, as you're talking about that, if, if you could tell us a little bit about the time that you spent um, coaching Henry, um, Cejudo, And, um, I think you had him from very early in his career and then all the way, you know, through him winning, winning a gold medal. And, um, if some of the things that you just talked about applied to your experience coaching Henry.
1: Well, Henry, uh, you know, Henry was, was, uh, he, he was uh, just out of his sophomore year in high school when we brought him into the training center. He was, wow. and we had to, we had to sell that. It wasn't really easy to do. When I went in and talked to Rich Bender, the executive director, about the fact that I wanted to bring in a high school kid. He wasn't, he wasn't sure that was a good idea. And right. And he said, I'd have to sell the training center on it. And mm. the selling point was Apollo uh, Ono, the, the uh, skater. Speech oh. Speed If you know, I I sat with, down with him and I asked my, how old were you when you came here? And he was fifteen. Mm-hmm. And I so I established the fact that the rules had already been set once. Why not set them again? And so they put some guidelines down that had to be followed. And and uh, we brought him in, and he was you know, he had some learning to do, he had some adaptation to go, we had to get him into a high school.
3: Mm-hmm. I
1: put him in with a family to begin with that I knew was a very solid and substantial family to help him get a foundation, and then mm-hmm. he he found some mentors in the group, uh, a Hispanic fellow that uh, Dave Hurtado, Dave mm-hmm. who who worked with him and helped him from that standpoint, and in the, in the counselors at school, and it was, for a while, it was kind of like raising another youngster taking on another charge mm-hmm. because you had to make sure he was doing his homework and getting to school and,
3: and oh, wow. everything
1: else that needed to be done because right. he had two years of high school to finish. And yeah. The last thing we could do is bring a kid in here and have him not finish school properly.
2: Sure, sure. So you guys, I imagine you were in, in Colorado Springs at the training center. Where, did, where was Henry coming from?
1: He was coming from Phoenix, Arizona.
2: Oh, boy. Okay, so so very far away from his family at that point. And how did you find him?
1: Uh, through a, a a kid's coach that he had when he was younger. Um, that, that individual's coach, Joe Romero, his coach, his high school coach was my college coach. And I, I knew Joe, and I was after Angel because I knew Angel wasn't headed right into college. Mm-hmm. And when I talked with Angel, he said that Henry wanted to come, so I talked with... Uh, with uh, Angel about it and said, well, when he comes out of high school, and he said, no, he wants to come now, and Joe called me, and he said, you know, if you don't get him now, you probably won't get him. He needs to change.
3: Mm. He needs to make that
1: change now. And, wow. uh so we went to work on it, and Managed to get it done, and and he responded extremely well. He worked about as hard as anybody could work once he got there. You couldn't hardly drag him out of the room. And uh, we had some we had some ups and downs with him. Terry Brands and I, Sergey Beloglazov was with him at first with me, and then Terry and I, and and uh, it was kind of a joint effort. It wasn't just me. It was That's myself, cool. Terry Brands, Kevin Jackson. We all worked with him, and you know tried to get the right things in his head and get him going in the right direction. And, Fortunately, it all came together at the right time.
2: So so you um, first started coaching him when he was a sophomore in high school. How old was he when he won the gold medal? 20, I think. 20, so maybe five years later or something like that. Four years, yeah. Um, so so again, shifting to another one of your many talents, um, now as director of broadcasting for USA Wrestling, um, what are some of the highlights that stand out in your memory um, from that role and and can you reflect on how that role has changed over the years with the advances in technology and different media outlets?
1: Well, I, I think you know my job there was really was really to get us on television. My job mm-hmm. where there was to get coverage, and yep. one of you know I guess the thing we did is we managed to get our 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 world and Olympic team trials and our national team tournaments uh, you know on the on the on the air. We started out with you know with, uh, you know, some of the, like, Fox, and then we managed to get ESPN, ESPNU, ESPN2, and over mm-hmm. the years we, we had a lot of coverage on those channels over those different events, and that was part of my job was to see that that happened, and I produced the shows and edited them, and when I sent them out, they were ready to go right down to the commercial
2: holes. That's fantastic. Um, and, and are there certain tournaments or, um, you know, matches maybe even that stand out in your memory from that time? Oh
1: <laughs> man, there've been so many good ones. You know, it's it's uh, that, that you know we had we had guys like you know you know we had John Smith and the Brands and Kevin Jackson and you know Melvin Douglas and the Shear Brothers and Bruce Baumgartner. We had some great athletes over those years. It was it was like a cornucopia of talent. That to be able to take a look and record that and work at it. And, and, and that didn't hurt the database of technique and fundamentals as as live examples either. I mean, it was all good stuff.
2: Yep, yep. Um, that makes your job fun when you got that much talent to work with. Uh, so so I think one of the things as I was sort of reading about you and, and everything you've accomplished over your career um, was just I just got such an impressed um You know, I was just so impressed by how many varied talents you have and how, you know, you're both an expert coach in wrestling, but also with broadcasting and the video and the technology and, you know, getting video on iPods and all the cutting edge things. And what is it about, you know, your attitude about learning or um, about you as a person where you've been able to develop so many varied talents to such an, um, an expert level?
1: Uh, I, I, I have just uh, an insatiable curiosity. When I take on a project, I just I need to learn all I can learn about it. It's just something I have to do, and I've never had the ability to start something I didn't finish. I, if I'm going to start something, I'm going to finish it. That's just it's in me. I just can't do it any other way. Mm-hmm.
3: There's times I've
1: wanted to quit, but I couldn't do it. So I just educated myself in the directions I need to educate myself to get the job done that I wanted to get done, and
3: fortunately, it worked
2: out. And Doc, was that just sort of always innately in you that insatiable curiosity and you know the the desire to always finish, or do you feel like there were certain role models in your life?
1: Um... I think I think it was probably in me, but it was certainly helped and shaped by people I met in my life. You know, my my college coach. Uh, you know, my my uh, my my friendship with with Daryl Keller. You know, things like that. I mean, you meet a lot of mentally tough people over the years, and yeah. and and uh, you see what they're doing. You see how the tunnel vision and the focus they have to get the job done—they need to get done—and you realize that, you know, that's all it takes—is to, is, uh, is to lock in that 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 vision, lock in that tunnel vision, and stay focused and on task, and pretty soon you get something done.
2: That's great. That's great. Um, I, I actually realize I have one more question about video for you, and. Um, I think sort of the use of video highlights and the value of preparation, you know, and wrestlers to really sort of do the due diligence and watch the tape of who they're competing against and watching tape to prepare. Um, it reminds me of one of John Wooden's, you know, famous quotes that failing to prepare is preparing to fail. And I- I'm curious if you can talk just a little bit about the value of preparation.
1: Well, I, I don't think there's there's... It, it makes no sense to do anything in life that you haven't prepared yourself for mm. and and it it it's it's uh if you want to succeed you have to be willing to lay the foundation you know so the the foundation for success is built on failure and, mm-hmm. and it's it's one of those things that you just have to take and be willing to put in the hours put in the time put in the, the work ahead of time, and the reward is, is, the, is the result you get on the wrestling mat. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you didn't, you're not going to just step out there and succeed at anything if you don't take the time to get the education, to get the fundamentals, to get the foundation it takes to do that. You know, and, and, and for me, I've always looked at it, the same. I, I've always felt that a champion has the ability to impose his will upon his opponent at his discretion, it, 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 if I can do that, if I can impose my will upon my opponent, at my discretion, it's going to be hard for him to beat me. And so it's the idea of wrestling your match, not wrestling his. You know, wrestling in my backyard, not in his, that type of thing. And that comes from preparation. Right. If if you haven't the time to know yourself and to learn, mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't know uh, what you're good at. If you don't know what your go-to move is, you don't know what your primary techniques are, you, you're not going to be very good at them.
2: Yep. That that just doesn't happen. You gotta gotta do a lot of preparation. Um, so so my last question for you um, is around what inside responsible sports we call honoring the game, um, where we talk about respecting the roots of the game. And roots is an acronym where we talk about respecting the rules, your opponents, the officials, your teammates, and ultimately yourself. So honoring the roots of the game. And I'm curious if there are a few really specific things that you think wrestlers and their coaches can do um, to honor your sport.
1: You know, I, I think I think you, number one, I think you need to honor all of those people that are involved in it. You need, as a coach, you need to keep in mind that. Most of the time, especially at the developmental levels, that referee out there isn't. He, he's taking his own time. He's not being paid in most cases. Right. And he's taking his own time to go out there and make this happen. Yep. And if everybody quit that, that uh, you know, that wasn't winning, or if everybody quit that wasn't getting a reward at some time, we wouldn't have many people left. So you know we have to we have to take the time to respect those people that are in the sport right down to the volunteers because yeah. they're all essential. This, the same thing is true of an athlete. If you if you don't have you know respect for others, how can you have respect for yourself?
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it's important to to really really keep those things in mind. And, and I, I don't think that means you need to be be a, a, a good loser from the standpoint of being happy about it. You should sure. be happy about it. Yeah, You know, why keep score if you're not going to win? But, but But you should be respectful about it.
2: So when you were coaching, did you do specific things to encourage your athletes or remind your athletes to respect the referee or the volunteers or the people at the table? Or, you know, all those people that are contributing to make it happen, even if they're you know, not getting paid
1: i I tried to set the example myself
2: yep, I
1: tried to take and point out to them that you know uh you know they may not always be right, they may make some bad calls, but understand that they're they're volunteering for this they're they're trying to do the best job they can, yep. and at this point in time, maybe if something happened that didn't suit your needs and but you'll be a better person for it down the road it will take and look at it from the standpoint of what can I learn from this, what can I do to make myself better so that these things don't happen again. And, and a lot of times when we get a bad call or we get something that goes wrong or something's not right, if we really take a look at the situation, a lot of times we've generated that ourselves.
3: Hmm. If
1: you don't keep it close, you're not going to have many problems. Right. A point isn't going to kill you if you're continually building a lead. If, right. if you go out there to dominate, you go out there to continue to build your lead, you're going to have a whole lot less problems if you go out there to hang on to a one-point match and try to win it.
2: That makes a lot of sense. Um, Doc, I want to thank you so much for taking the time um, with me today and with all the responsible sports listeners to share your thoughts and your insights. Um, I think you're really going to help a number of parents and coaches and athletes who are out there listening today. And I just want to commend you on a tremendous career. And um, I just think the sport of wrestling is so much better um, for your involvement. So thank you so much.
1: That was always my goal. My, my whole purpose was business. I wanted the sport to be better off when I left it than when I came into it. And I think that there's something that parents really need to keep in mind. And that is when their kids get involved in the sport, and, and, and coaches too, that remember that it's not about you, it's mm-hmm. about them. And we have to take and, and sometimes step back and realize that when things happen out there, they aren't happening to you.
3: Mm-hmm. They're
1: happening to that athlete. And we have to keep that in mind at all times, you know, keep it in perspective. It isn't about us. It isn't about We had our chance as athletes. Now mm-hmm. it's about those kids. Yep. And we need to give them their best chance by remembering that it is about them.
2: That's fantastic. Well, congratulations on a wonderful legacy, and I know you're not done yet. And uh, thanks for taking this time with me today. You're
0: more than welcome. To learn more about Responsible Sports, visit ResponsibleSports.com. You'll find valuable Responsible Sport parenting and Responsible Coaching Guides, downloadable tools and worksheets, and helpful advice from leading youth sports experts. Music for this podcast has been generously provided by APM Music.